On this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be covering community feedback, Linux gaming, and our audience favorites of tips, tricks, and our software spotlight. And we've also got a very awesome special guest interview with Jeremy Kaufman, the CEO and founder of Library. You're going to love it. Welcome to episode 164 of Destination Linux. This is the podcast about sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Destination Linux is a show for all experience levels. So whether you're a beginner to beginner to Linux, just beginner to technology or anything like that, or a master sudoer, welcome to the show. I'm Michael, and with me today are the super delegates of Linux, Ryan and Eric. So let's find out what everybody's been up to this week. So Eric, what have you been up to? I took the plunge on Ubuntu 20.04 Focal Fossa. I've been waiting for feature freeze just to, uh, to to get it on my hardware. And so I've got that installed. I've been running it for about five days now, and it's fantastic. I really, I'm, I'm already a fan of Ubuntu, so it's not like it takes me <laughs> much convincing for me to try the new version. But um, I, I usually will wait a little while just to let that churn uh, die down a little bit. But, um, you know, it's, it's really impressive that we're still this far away from release. But um, I had one issue with the kernel where this laptop, the Dell laptop I have, wasn't the brightness controls weren't working. So there was just something there. I went and look, looking and found that there was just an issue with the 5.4 kernel. The suggestion was try a different kernel. So I tried 5.5 something and it works perfectly fine. Other than that, the improvements to GNOME and, you know, it's, it's an, for the LTS perspective of this, from what I've seen so far, it's going to be a really great LTS that we're going to have available for the next five years. And um, so, yeah, it's been great. And I'll just say for anyone that is interested, now's a good time to test because there's enough time between now and the release that if you find something, you can give that feedback, get it fixed. And then that just makes for a stronger release. Uh, and I think they actually said they're going to do it on the 20th of April. They should. So, I hope yeah, they do. I, I think they. I think I saw that. That might be a, a rumor, but uh, who knows? If they yeah. actually hit that, that would be fun. I hope so, that is not a rumor. They, uh, if you, if it was, if it's not your plan, canonical, do it. So you also said you were talking, you were working on something else that I'm super interested in, and this was uh, the Jack and Jack Re- Jack and Reaper. Like, how are you getting along with that? Because you know, Jack is known for being such a monster. Like, how how well, have you? What's your experience with it? You, you may not. You may not know this, but when I agreed to do the DL and Extend podcast, I didn't know anything about podcasting. <laughs> Wait, I didn't what? Know. what? Yeah, what? We, yeah. Why are we just learning this? <laughs> how did he slip well, through the cracks? <laughs> hey, listen, there's a very fake it till you make it, right? That, that's right. how that works. Good, good fake so, on that one. Um, so I've had to sort of learn all of the Linux audio world. And over the last you know eight or nine months, and this, this predates DL and Extend a little bit, but um, it's, it's coming to terms with the hardware, the software, how it all interacts together. And the solution that I've arrived at is that Jack really is a very powerful toolkit and takes some time to get comfortable with, to really understand how it all fits together. But once you've taken the time to, to do that, once you've educated yourself and you've figured out how to hook it all together from that point, then all of a sudden the world opens up because now I can do things that just you can't do otherwise it's it's so powerful and yes it's it's very involved and very uh can be complicated certainly looks confusing or complicating 
But once you've taken the time to to really just figure it out, the, the basics. And, and what I'm going to do is actually create some some videos and some different content on this because I, I felt like my biggest challenge was there wasn't a lot of really good information on how to do it. I found a couple good videos. I found a couple good articles. But for the most part, I had to piece it together. And that's really what took me so long. It wasn't because it's so overwhelmingly complicated that I couldn't understand it. It was just piecing all of the little, you know, nuts and bolts together and kind of figuring it out. Right. So now that I've done that, the next step was I've been using Audacity. And Audacity is fantastic. I, I, this is not disparaging against Audacity in any way. It's great for pre-processing, for noise removal, for... there. It does a lot of things. The filters that are in there, it, it works very, very well. But I wanted to use a, a DAW, Digital Audio Workstation, piece of software to do things like filtering and mastering, editing, kind of putting all that together at the at the end, right? And I've tried several different ones and, and there are, you know, different options out there. They all function similarly, but my problem is that most of them are focused on music production. And I nothing I'm doing with music production. I, I, I only want voice and only things that pertain to that. And when you open something like Ordor, for example, everything's very focused on, on music production and it it's just gets in the way. So Reaper is great because it lets you strip all of that out. And it's just very simple UI that you can then build up and put the pieces back that make sense to you and really customize it as an audio, as a voice workstation instead of just general music. And so that's what, you know, it's only been a couple of weeks since I've started using Reaper I feel like in that time, I've learned a lot. And uh, it's it's very much a work in progress. I don't claim to be an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But the key is, the first step is, if you want to do something more advanced with audio, Jack is really sort of that that next level you have to go, in my Absolutely. opinion, that you have to go to. It's, it's yeah, correct opinion. And it using Jack had allowed me to get over hurdles that Pulse has that people who do not utilize, you know, a semi-professional or professional level audio equipment have no idea how limiting Pulse is. It's fantastic for those who plug USB speakers in or, you know, basic mics and things. But once you get past that, it is extremely limited. And that's where Jack comes in and plays this big role. Now, one of the things I want to plug, since I know you're a big Ubuntu guy, is Ubuntu Studio did this amazing thing. Mm where they released their Ubuntu Studio audio package so that you get all the configurations of Jack and everything else in just one plugin to install, which seems like that would be a good place for those who are also interested in getting involved and in knowing what professional tools are out there, is if you're not going to run Ubuntu Studio, which you might want to because it's pretty awesome, but if you don't want to, maybe you're, you know, want to use a different interface or you're a Ubuntu fan or whatnot, at least you can go and do the Ubuntu Studio audio package itself and install that and you get all those awesome tools like Jack and, you know, I, I don't know, they have lists of like dozens of them that all interact with each it, other. It's, it's Jack, it's filters, it's, uh, yeah. it's DAWs, it's audio production tools, it's going to be synthesizers and drum machines. It's, it's a huge package. It's a, there's a lot there. So mm -hmm. it's a good way to get started, but maybe it's a little bit of a jackhammer approach that it might be more than you want. Arch has an equivalent, uh, it's called Pro Audio, Pro-Audio, and it does a very similar thing. It's going to put, you know, install Jack for you, install a lot of plugins in the background, software, stuff like that, but it's a lot and it might be way more than you need. So 
yes, I started there. And also just a shout out to Ubuntu Studio for being a distribution that's focused on content creation. And um, I'm actually going to be testing to the 24 release just to see how that's nice. shaping up. And uh, but yeah, it, it, it really is. And, you know, you mentioned maybe higher level audio equipment. You can still use USB with Jack. There's, there's sure. no reason you have to have XLR, that you have to have a USB audio interface or a- any of this more advanced audio equipment to get a good result out of it. So uh, hopefully what I can do is at least demystify some of that initial just getting set up and playing around with Jack. I'm not going to be able to be specific to everybody's system out there, everybody's hardware. Everything's going to be different. You're going to sound different. You know, several settings on things, that's going to be different. But if I could at least introduce the concepts in a, in a way that people can use it, because honestly, I just, I think it's a great solution. If you are trying to do anything at all with audio to try to make it sound better than what you, if you're frustrated like I was, I was just so just tired of fighting. I just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And this has just made it so that now I can do, really, it feels like anything with my audio. Yep. And if they want to get follow-ups on the story, check out DLN Extend. I'm sure you'll have progress reports there on the DLN Extend podcast, which is an amazing podcast. All the episodes in which they agree with me, that is, uh, to go check out their <laughs> DLN Extend. So, Ryan, what's new in your world? So, this week I've been playing with a toy. You know how when you ask Michael, like, hey, I want to do this thing, and Michael's like, always has some obscure solution to it. It'll work. But it's kind of like the shoe on head methodology that we joke about with Michael, right? Where he has what? a keyboard that has blank keys that he somehow remembers what those blank keys are and all of that stuff. Well, for those who can't uh, see the video, I'm holding up a Stream Deck Mini from Elgato here. And this is running in Linux right now. It has nice little icons and text underneath so you know what the button you're pressing actually does. And I'm utilizing this to control video content because, well, one of Michael's recommendations is, hey, you need to switch in your videos back and forth more between your face and the content and not just have it one or the other. Well, to do that, you've got to have macro keys and remember what they are. This is a nice little thing that sits on the side. I can hit a button, boom, it's going to switch full cam to my camera, hit another button, it goes to my main screen, hit another button, I get a camera in view and a main screen that transitions while I'm making content. Uh, which is very, very useful. And you've got the nice kind of GUI and you can make your own icons for it and things like that. I'm also going to use it as a macro on my desktop. So if I want to launch things like Firefox or other tools, because you have different menus that I can switch on this so that right now it's in OBS mode, but I can switch to a different menu that may be just my Hmm. desktop mode of items on there. And the folks who created Stream Deck UI, thank you so much for the community work out there that they did bringing basically because Elgato doesn't write a Linux version, bringing that a tool that allows us to interface with this right from the desktop. Um, It does leave some things to be desired, but I'm working through it and I'm doing a video on my channel and uploading to my GitHub the, because you can upload profiles and things, my profiles, so somebody doesn't have to go through all the pain I have in getting it all set up and working. You can just download my profile and upload it and you'll be good to go. Nice. I was actually very interested when you talked about how you had the Stream Deck because I, I I looked at the Stream Deck when I first got my uh, shoe on head thing, which was this keyboard with no key, no labels. I was looking at it 
And I, I think that that I, I reason I didn't get it is because it didn't have a solution to use in Linux at the time. And I didn't know about Stream Deck UI. So that's awesome that someone's made that as a solution. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how your, your video when it comes out to see what happens with it and how it works. And, cause and it should have transitions in it finally. Yeah, yeah, finally. If it works, it'll have transitions. <laughs> I am looking forward I've to that. I've done some very creative, cool things that I think are going to blow people's minds because one of the problems I ran into is Stream Deck UI. It works great when you're in the UI or if you have OBS up. But what if you clicked on your desktop and if you click on your desktop mm. and hit any of these buttons, nothing happens? Well, I found out a way to, in the buttons, it commands that steal the focus back. Same time I hit that button, it automatically finds the right screen where it needs to execute its command on and executes it. So I think it's pretty cool. Gotcha. That, that actually explains why you asked me a random question one time. It was like about stealing focus. And stuff. Yeah, but like, you didn't have a good answer, but your you, answer was good enough that it led me into the actual answer. I, I would have given so. you a better answer. You tell me what the context for. I didn't well, even know I you had a do that. You either have yet. the answer or you don't. <laughs> of course. So Michael, what have you been up to this week? So I've been doing a lot of behind the scenes things for DLN. And last week I gave a little bit of a tease about we're making some more waves in the Linux community with a new project that we're going to be launching. Uh, it's going to be launching very so soon. So excited. And I did test it. I teased it last week and I said I have more details for you this week, which I do. So I'm thrilled to let you know that the new project is coming within the next couple of weeks. Uh, don't We don't have an exact launch date yet, but... The news for now is that I will have a launch date to let you know on next episode. So that is going to happen. That's the teaser? Wait another few weeks? No, no, no. Wait till next week when I give you the date and what it is. Okay. Oh, but nice. That's I, a better teaser. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that you, I'm st- I'm, we're still working on it. But because the reason why there's a little bit of delay this time is because I got sick and that kind of destroyed my productivity. Uh, and also Ryan got sick too. So we haven't even talked for like most of the week. And uh, so there's a little bit of stuff we're still working out. And, uh, you know, that's why he's a little, that's why the teaser isn't fulfilled this time. And as well as another teaser, but tune in next week for yeah. more tease. Tune in next week for actual information <laughs> and uh, like dates and what it is and all that stuff. And uh, yeah. And I've also been testing library for uh, this the interview we're having this, this week and I've been I've been using library for a little a long time and I've I have for like a couple months or so now and I've been just super happy with it and it's surprisingly good. So I can't wait to talk to Jeremy about this. So yeah, let's just uh let's jump into the rest of the show. But before we get to the rest of the show, let's talk about the sponsor for this week's episode, and that is DigitalOcean. So this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean and also the entire network is sponsored by DigitalOcean because DigitalOcean is an awesome company that offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. And we say this often on the show because this is a very awesome product. They're, the It's very easy to use because they have this really nice to use stash, dashboard that you can go into and, man, and configure your systems and you can have it set up where you can have a password-based security, or you could have a SSH key-based security, and you can also have remote control through their web console, which is 
fantastic because if you ever don't have your SSH keys, you can go into the actual account of the system and use your remote web console to be able to, to, to modify anything on the systems and on the droplets. And it's just, it's fantastic. And I love using it and you can get access to this plus their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month, or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. And as Ryan would say, that's darn near free. And DigitalOcean also has over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to, say, to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software languages and frameworks. And I use those, you know, not even just cloud related tutorials. They have a lot of stuff that's just generally related and it's very awesome. And you can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit for two months for free by going to do.co slash DLN. We want to thank DigitalOcean again for sponsoring this episode and the Destination Linux Network. In our community feedback this week, Zach writes in to discuss the GeForce Now segment we had a episode or two ago, and he says, hey, I just wanted to say that while, yes, it is unfortunate that GeForce Now doesn't support Linux on release, they've already announced Chromebook support, and it's being worked on. I mean, that's something. Which one the which one that happens would allow anyone with a Chrome browser to use the GeForce Now? So you guys kept referring to it as being in beta for five years as if that were a negative, but actually they were in beta so long because they've actually listened to our user feedback and done multiple iterations of the service. Had they not taken their time and utilized feedback, we could have gotten something similar to Stadia. I think a service where you can actually own your games as opposed to Google owning them is a good thing to have, even if it means we have to wait slightly longer for support. So this is interesting because your email came in just as NVIDIA GeForce now kind of has been getting a lot of flack in the marketplace. Nothing to do with us, but it's been getting a lot of flack because of the fact that all of the game studios, big game studios, not all of them, a bunch of big game studios are pulling out. So Activision, Blizzard, Bethesda and 2K Games and some indie developers have all pulled out of GeForce Now platform. And this has to do with the fact that NVIDIA didn't have permissions to be utilizing their games in the library. At least that's some of the claims that we're hearing out there to begin with. So let, let me put it this way. I am excited about GeForce Now and the capabilities that it could bring for gaming on Linux in the future. And I agree that it's great they were in beta for five years, but you would think during those five years, let's just be honest here, that they would have figured out partnerships before they came out of beta to make sure they could host those games, that they would have figured out some of these things that they're falling into. And there's no technical reason why this type of thing, if it goes through the browser, would not work in Linux. It works on Chromebooks, like you said, which are like three-fourths of a computer, but it will not work on a full Linux desktop with even if you have an NVIDIA graphics card in there, and that's just silliness. And so I agree that being in beta, be in beta as long as you want and take the time to make your product good. And I want them to be successful. Obviously, people are really starting to hammer down on Stadia and the fact that there's no real games coming out for it. It's buggy. I see reports of people who bought the Stadia against our recommendation, and yes, we took flack for that, and now they're talking about it being buggy and they can't get games to work right and the inputs lagging and all the problems that we expected were going to be there. So I think NVIDIA has you know, a product here that they're trying to push, but look, there's some issues here. Being in beta for five years, I would have expected it to be much further along than it is right now. That is my take. Yeah, I think they actually were probably farther along than the other 
services and they did pre- provide a service that people want like i yes. do think bring that your own game in there is awesome yeah the infrastructure they're trying to do i like it a lot but not considering the you know the having linux support even though they're working on chromebook support and also you know for a fact that in that five years there were suggestions about hey why does it not have linux support you know that kind of thing like there's there's definitely a, an issue in terms of like Nvidia doesn't look towards the Linux market that you know they're not that interested in it in terms of gaming it, it seems and that's what we were saying in general we're not saying that it's a bad service or that it wouldn't eventually come to Linux it's just we were just disappointed that it was an afterthought even even after it's still an afterthought even with Chromebook support because they didn't say Linux support and Chromebook support. We're just assuming support because Chromebooks run on Linux as a base. That's really the only reason we have a, a, an assumption. They, they haven't even announced that they're going to support it. We're just all assuming that it will work. And that's just unfortunate. And it's also unfortunate that they didn't take into consideration these uh, partnerships that they need to have with these game companies in order to p- publish those games or have them streamable and that kind of thing. So we want NVIDIA to provide this service and we because we want to use this service. I think all of us agree that this service has a lot of potential and I really want it to be a thing that's viable and provides the stuff to be able to use the games that I already own and all that stuff. That's fantastic. But uh, you got to let us use it. Also in the community feedback, Stefan writes to say, Dear friends, let me introduce myself to you. My name is Stefan. I'm Dutch, 31 years old, and I have two kids, and I'm married for three years now. I'm a part-time web designer. I'm always using Windows 95 until 10. First, I want to thank all of you for your hard work to make these podcasts. Thank you, Stefan. Today is a great day. I removed Windows 10 out of my life and used yes. Ubuntu. Excellent choice, I have to say. Yep, Good job. Love it. In the past, I tried to use Linux as a daily driver, but always came back to Windows. So my question is, what programs do you advise me to use as a web designer? Wish you all the best. Best regards. I'm not going to say that word, Stefan. <laughs> he put greetings in Dutch in there. And I, I actually looked up on Google Translate how to say it, and I'm more confused now than I was before <laughs> I looked. There you go. So uh, it's, it, Dutch is definitely a difficult language for non-Dutch speakers, and I think they know that. So <laughs> anyway, thank you, Stefan, for writing in. Um, it depends on what you're doing with web design. If you are mm-hmm. writing code, I mean, in most cases, you're just going to use a text editor, and some text editors are very simple, and every desktop environment is going to include their own. So on Kubuntu, you're going to have Kate, and Kate is a perfectly capable you know, editor. Actually, it's a pretty good editor. There's a lot of functionality in Kate. There's syntax highlighting, there's linting, there's all sorts of different tools. And so I think you'd probably be okay with that as a text editor, but then you can also go outside of that and there's uh, Sublime Text, there's lots of other options as well. There are IDEs that are available. So there's things out there if you want to use JetBrains products or there's, it depends on what you are doing in web development. If you're just doing, you know, simple languages, then you, maybe you're going to get by with a text editor. If you're trying to do more of an ID, IDE approach, then there's some options for that. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is uh, development, so local development. What I do is if, if I'm building a website, usually I'll want to host it locally to, to do my development. And fortunately, Linux makes that really easy. There are lots of different ways to virtualize a server environment. And so what I do personally is I just have a virtual machine that's running Ubuntu 18.04. 
And then I install a Docker containers on top of that for whatever web technology I need. If it's the web server itself, so Apache and Nginx, or the, uh, the database, what, whatever layers you need on there, that's the containerization makes that so easy to, to set up. Now I'm saying that maybe it's not as easy and straightforward if, if you don't know. I think Linux has given give you the tool set to do whatever you want. Unfortunately, the question I think is a little broad, so it's kind of hard to be right. like exactly precise on an answer. Uh, Michael, what do you what do you think? I would agree. I mean, I think that the the question is is a little too broad to answer fully because there's so many different variables in web development and web design that is just you know there's there's so many different languages that you could use to do web development there's so many different you know, ids for different languages you know if you use it you can use python and there's specific ids for python and that kind of thing so i i what what you're saying is i i agree and i think it's probably safe to say that 99% if not all of the text editors and ids that are available for web related stuff is available on linux because the linux well basically the entire ecosystem is powering the internet so like we mm -hmm. have like probably 80% of the internet powered by Linux. And for example, like 35% of websites are powered by WordPress, which is powered by Linux. So like there's, you know, there's a heavy uh, focus on Linux as a, as a base for that kind of stuff. So most of the software they use to create that stuff is also for some Linux as well. And I agree with the local web, web environment is a great idea. And I will admit, I don't always do a local. Uh, sometimes I, I edit in production. I, um, it's not, it's not as a good suggestion. I don't think you should do that, but I will admit that I do sometimes because it's just faster and that kind of thing. But uh, a local web environment is a fantastic option. And I do think that the virtual machine with Docker is the, probably the best one because you can load up so many things so easily. And I think that if you're already a web developer or web designer, then you would you'd be familiar with these kinds of things. And I would say that uh, virtual machines with Docker is a fantastic solution. And also maybe you could even test out stuff on DigitalOcean droplets because you can set those up so fast and so easy that you could set them up in like less than a minute. So you could Whoa, even do something like that. I wonder if like we that. could give him $100 free credits, Michael, to do that. that. That's a good question. I, uh, let's, yeah, yeah, I think we can. I think you can go to do.co slash DLN in order to get these uh, you know, $100 credit to try out DigitalOcean droplets. And you could you can tweak so much stuff with it. It's fantastic. I use it for a, a testing environments all the time because you can just load up a, a, a droplet within like a few seconds. It even you can you can load up a droplet with Docker installed, with Ubuntu installed, all that stuff, and just start you know tweaking around, messing with stuff. And then if you mess up something or whatever, it doesn't matter. You just delete the droplet, make a new one, you're good to go. So yeah. I think that's a good option as well. Well, I think you all should have probably passed the question to me as a professional web designer, which you oh, both boy. have talked about my incredible web design experience. <laughs> and I would like to go out there and Don't say that you just uh, go on to neocities.org and create all of your professional mm. websites. Oh, that's there. an interesting suggestion. Do you still use Neocities? No, because you made fun of me. <laughs> I'm on WordPress, which makes it simple. And no, I don't have advice here, Michael. And Eric was perfect having both of you on here, honestly, yeah. to give advice on this because both of you do this. And also, I want to just publicly thank, even though Eric is not, not aware that I'm about to do this, Eric has helped a ton with the Destination Linux Network websites and stuff like that. So the Destination Linux .network website, in fact, he's helped a ton of uh, with like basically taking up all of my slack in order to uh, improve the websites and, and put out different But you know those paragraphs that you all love reading? This guy right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, Ryan helped so too. I did write stuff, <laughs> words. And what I use to write those words is a text editor for all of you to know. It's a, everybody has their strengths, right? I'm really good at the back end stuff, the guts, the nuts and bolts. Michael's really good at the messaging and the design. And I mean, he's, he's good at the nuts and bolts stuff too. And then Ryan is really good at the content and the message. So, you know, the three of there us together. Go. It works. Yeah, it works. It it's a well. good family. <laughs> it's a good network. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have so many ways for your voice to be heard. You can send us a short email or a video like the ones we received today, and we will incorporate them in the show if they're short enough or they fit into the context of the show and try to answer your questions the best that we can. We'd love hearing from you, so please keep them coming in each and every week. If you want to send us an email or a link to a video that you've made, send it to comments at destinationlinux.org. So we have an interview that I'm super excited to talk about, and this is with Jeremy Kaufman of Library. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here with you all. You know, Jeremy is the CEO and founder of Library. He also founded Top Score and is a graduate in physics and computer science. So we're super excited, and I can't wait to talk to you about Library. But I also noticed something that on your Library announcement videos that you are a Linux user. So, of course, we got to talk about that first. So before we get into Library, how did your, so you get started with your Linux journey? Uh, that's right. So... Uh, I'm pretty sure it goes all the way back to the, the first Linux I ever ran was uh, Mandrake. I would have been 15, 16 in, in the high school era. Now, uh, don't give me too much credit because it didn't stick. Uh, but uh, Ubuntu around <laughs> sophomore year of, of college did stick. And, and I'm, I'm talking to you from Ubuntu right now. Nice. Very nice. So what got you started? We talked about this a little before the show started, but what made you even explore Mandrake is an option back then as a college student. Mandrake would have been uh, in high school and I was, I was, I had been programming for a couple of years and just wanted to start learning, learning more about things. It seemed like a natural step, you know, just, you saw people on the internet talking about it. Right. Um, and I spent a lot of time on the internet still do. And so, you know, when you're a young kid trying to learn about computers and your computer science teacher is your, you know, 55 year old math teacher who might not know that much about it. You, you know, you, you see what people on the internet say to do and you, you try copying them. Now, I hear Mandrake used a lot. I'm one of the newer ones in Linux, so it was before my time. But when you say you left it, so Mandrake's got a lot of people into Linux. But when you say you left, do you remember what it was about it that you're like, eh, nah, I'm going to Windows? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew Windows. It was still easier to do things. I mean, even at that point when I was programming, right, I was programming in, in Visual Studio, right? Like, I didn't have this kind of, you know, I'd say part of it is I didn't have anyone to really mentor me in this other path of tooling, right? I had the things that I had kind of like inherited and learned and those were more natural. You go to college and you're in a computer science program and there's other people around who are using Linux and you know it's it's much easier to then become one not not like everyone used Linux. Windows was still more common even in college, but you there's at least a community of people you can talk to about it and it makes it easier to learn and get into it. I'd say that's part of it. That makes sense. So how do you think that that experience, that background of getting back into Linux or being in computer science, I mean, how does how does that lead to library? Is there is there a correlation there? Yeah, well, it's a you know it's a pretty heavy computer science kind of idea. So so I guess in terms of needing to conceive of it, you know, you would need to have a have a computer science background. You know, we wrote a, a white paper on library that got uh, accepted recently, actually, to to IEEE uh, on decentralized uh, applications and infrastructure. You know, so library is a, a pretty serious project in terms of what it's trying to achieve technically. Um, but it, I would say it's also not just, uh, but in terms of how, how you know, we, I and we came to think of it, 
it's also a, a, a cultural product in terms of the things that I experienced as, I mean, going back all the way to these, to these younger years that I'm talking about in terms of want, like enjoying an era of the internet that I think has been moving backwards a little bit in terms of how centralized things are and the companies that, that control how we speak and talk to one another and share information with one another. And those are things I've cared about for a long time that I care about even more than truthfully that I care about even more than the ones and zeros. Although the ones and zeros are very, very important because that's how you do, how you accomplish the larger cultural goal. But this is a cultural you know, sort of project <laughs> first, if that makes sense. Uh, I had to get really smart at the technology to be able to do it. <laughs> so. so the underlying technology, you're making use of a lot of open source. And so, I mean, I would think that that obviously ties back to to Linux and open source in general. But it, you're, you're right. In terms of the technical, the background, the, the back end of, of library. Um, and actually, at, at some point, we may get to it. But I'd like to, the question about LBRY, what does that mean? And I've started to dig in a little bit about it's a protocol. It's not just a you know, a, a name, it, it actually means something. So all of that, that technology in the background, it seems like it's born out of this experience you've had and coming through, through that. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, maybe, maybe I should just, talk, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of your audience doesn't know that much about it. So maybe I can just sort of explain briefly what, what library yes, is. And, I would love that because I think library has exploded in our community, but I think some people probably haven't heard it yet. And so let's let's start with the foundation of what is library. Why should people be interested in it? Yeah, although I uh, if if you don't mind, I'm going to explain why you should be interested in the opposite order. So I'm going to okay, explain the good. most superficial way to be interested, sort of the easiest way, and then I can, and then I'll explain the deeper ideas behind it. You know, Perfect. because in the same kind of way, like I think it's easier actually to get into the deeper stuff if you just have a, a sort of more joyful, just casual experience first without needing to. Yeah. Anyway, so if you if you uh, like the idea of things like YouTube, but you say, I wish there's a way that these things worked where it's more open, open source, the algorithms are clear, the, the creators are treated fairly. And I like the idea of end users and creators being left in control. You can just go to lbry.tv and use that instead of YouTube. Okay. And that's already better. Right? That's better than the status quo. We can talk about some other things you can do that are maybe even better than that, but that's already way better than the status quo. You can follow uh, a bunch of Linux creators on there, you know, type in Linux, click follow. And now you can watch that stuff uh, on a company that you know, cares about open source, free technology, free ability to communicate, freedom of information, these kinds of things. And you can do that instead of some companies that are maybe a little bit more hostile to that. And it's a good user experience, right? We're not asking you to you know, to suffer. It's, it's pretty comparable, right? Uh, so, so I don't have to go out there and yeah. find all of these different people who set up their own branches of a version of library, anything. I just go to library TV. That's where all the content is, whether yeah. I'm uploading for Linux or somebody's uploading for Bitcoin or even Windows or anything that they want, any YouTube-like content that they may be used to, they're going to see there right there on library.tv. That's right. And there's tons of creators on library. 20,000 creators are, are publishing content regularly. There's more than 50 YouTubers who had a million or more subscribers on YouTube who are now uh, at least co-publishing on library. So there's lots of stuff on there. It's not, you know, there's, there's lots of Linux content, but there's all kinds of things. Uh, there's even a, a Hollywood studio that's publishing some films on library. So there's all, there's all kinds of stuff that you can go that's and awesome. find on there. Now well, let's get into the, let's talk about that level too though. Okay. So when you're using library.tv even, the architecture is a little bit different than a traditional website. All of your commands are being written to a public, open, decentralized protocol called library. 
Uh, and that is documented pretty thoroughly at lbry.tech. So if you want to really dig in, um, there's in fact a full specification at lbry.tech slash spec. And it's all very clearly specified at a very high level of detail what library is and how it works. Uh, but the design is when you're using library TV, you're building a, a wallet uh, analogous to a wallet in, in Bitcoin. So that's something that can later be downloaded, taken out of the system, and you can have full local control over. Uh, similarly, if you, start using, if you start using library via our desktop app, uh, which you can get at lbry.com, that is also a fully decentralized peer-to-peer -peer way of interacting with the network where in, unless you opt into sharing data with us, you can use it entirely, uh, well, there's not, entirely privately is a, a tough sentence to say when you're saying I'm also interacting in a peer-to-peer -peer network. So I want to be careful about the way that I say it, but you can use it in a way that you're not uh, you know, phoning home. We're not tracking your usage in, in the ways that these other services are, right? So that's what library is. It's this, it's this uh, very uh, grand, big, underlying peer-to-peer -peer decentralized project and protocol underneath uh, that allows us to, to have these superficial app-like experiences that are similar to YouTube and other things like that. But it's done in a way where all of the tech underneath, it can be controlled locally, right? So your control over your channel, your control over your identity is local. What you follow and you subscribe to is local. So you're not relying on the one company to control everything. But, and this is the real difference between, so maybe some of the audience is going, well, um, uh, what's the, like the one that Mastodon uses, the, 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 the W3C pub. spec, what's the, the name is escaping me? Activity pub. Activity pub, right? So the, if you're saying, well, activity pub is a decentralized way of doing this. Activity pub is brilliant. It's all really cool. The difference, but one difference, key difference between ActivityPub and Library is ActivityPub, you end up with no coherent view of the network. In the library model, because you have a blockchain underlying it, there is, you retain a coherent view of the network. So there is one listing of everything on there. There is one identity that you have against that system that like you're not relying on the, the, this piecemeal kind of maintaining um, if you want to have a view over the whole thing. That's not me trying to attack ActivityPub. I think ActivityPub serves, solves a lot of problems and it's really cool tech. But that is, if you're wondering what's the difference, that would be the difference. And I'm kind of dumping a lot out there that may have been too much. I don't know if I hit the right notes. And it's kind Not of off for the our audience. Of, I think yeah. it's just right because I yeah. think for okay. the, the you know the average people out there, you gave the level one view of listen. You go library.tv, start enjoying content. That's all you need to do to get started. For those who like the geeky underlying parts of well, how does this work? I think you explained that in a great way because this is complex. I've done a lot of invest investigating into blockchain and understanding this mm -hmm. and i still feel like a complete noob to all yeah. of the underlying technologies behind it so Same. if you could figure out how to explain it in two sentences you you may literally win like the nobel prize or something because this <laughs> stuff is really complex to understand which makes this such an interesting alternative out there because we've seen this tried before and we'll get into that in some later questions and you know some of the implementations are great for really geeky people not so great for your average user. And I like the idea of where you started with this is go to library.tv, start enjoying content. You don't have to go library TV, then some other instance, library.dosgeek, where he has all just his stuff, and then go to Michael's thing where he has just his stuff. It's all right there. You can search from one place, get your content, you're ready to roll. Yeah, uh, and I thank you very much. And, and that means a lot to me. That's something we're very focused on. I'm very focused on as a company. I'm a very product-oriented uh, CEO. My background prior to this was making effectively consumer software. It was business to business to consumer, but it was you know it was actually much more boring tactically uh, than this project, which is much uh, sort of grander and what it's tried to accomplish. But it taught me a lot about how do you build software that's usable and that people feel comfortable using, um, and that's that's helped a lot in terms of building this company. 
that's that's fantastic. And it's actually as someone I'm a designer and marketer. So when I see a project coming out and it has either like some kind of infrastructure where it's too complicated, I always just look at it and go, oh, that's so cool. Technologically speaking, and then it's never going to work. And when I first yeah. when I first saw library, I, I was kind of like super excited about it. And then I was kind of like just still hesitant. And then as soon as library.tv was launched, was like a couple months ago or something like that. As soon as that was launched, I was completely in. So I, I, I we've switched the network over to having that our libraries are alternative. Uh, all of our individual channels are on there as well. Like I'm a huge fan of library now, especially mainly is because the understanding that the importance of having a centralized, easy access way to be a user but also have a decentralized structure so that the value of the decentralization is still there. And yes. I love the combination being there. Yes, uh, that, that, is, that is very well put because that's the key. It's, the, it's not that everyone has to have the decentralized experience. It's that the decentralized experience is the check on the company being becoming, uh, I don't know what level of language we can use on this, because I'd like to use like extremely profane words. Family, like, family friendly. Yeah, I know I'm not going okay. to actually, but uh, like the, 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 these companies, they start out providing a good service and then they become complete, let's say jerks. Okay. They become, they, and they do this on purpose and they literally like say this up front. That's like what they're going to do. We're going to get, we're going to, we're going to make the service super great. And we're going to get all the customers. And then because it's a kind of winner take all thing, and then we're going to turn the dials and we're going to, uh, and then we're going to monetize and we're going to basically literally make the, the service and the experience worse so that we can make more money. And, and when we have that protocol check, and I think email is a good example where like, like, Google, you know, they may control a lot with Gmail, but it's way more comfortable because you can, and you might, I'm not saying you should necessarily feel comfortable use Gmail, use whatever you want to use, but like there's a check there that's not there on Facebook. There's a, there, because there is, you know, Gmail can never end the interoperability. They might try, but there's an ability to get out. They'll never be able to do the same things that a Facebook could do, I think, in terms of um, the ability to to do some of these things. No. Right, since they don't own the protocol or anything and Facebook does own everything about Facebook. And yeah, Instagram. exactly. And exactly. Right. So you you did put out you did put out a lot of in, info in there, and that, that was good. Uh, I'll actually have to go back and watch it to make sure I got <laughs> it all. Um, the two things from my perspective as a content creator, YouTube obviously is at least right now where where the audience is. Yeah, right? and 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 that's okay. I mean, that, but I think the things that you've done to make this so appealing to a wider audience, not only of users or end users or content consumers and but also on the content creator side is that one you make it very easy for someone to get set up and sync their content across which i mean that's huge i i already you know spending so much time doing this stuff so to be able to just push that over or, or you're pulling it i guess uh makes that very easy secondly the the Centralization is a big factor. So for years, I've been hearing people say, use these distributed content networks. And my biggest problem is as a consumer, as someone who's just trying to watch content, oftentimes it's not being distributed well enough or, or I guess broadly enough that I can't even watch the content. And then I think to myself, well, why would I ever want to put my content on something like that? There's no discoverability because there's no centralized way to actually search and find anything. There's no guarantee that there's that the content's being hosted. So you've solved several of the major issues I've had with all, with what we could claim, you know, call YouTube alternatives. And so, I mean, I've only been using Library for let's say about a month now as a as a creator, but that experience has been really, really ex like exceptional 
particularly in comparison, you know, mm-hmm. to, to these other services. So here's here's where this leads me then. I've found other great services in the past. And if there isn't a solid monetization strategy for, for your own platform, right? Like how are you going to survive and make this and go forward? And I'm not asking you to divulge any, you know, corporate secrets or anything like that, but how, how are you going to scale and grow and, and earn the money you need to, to keep doing what you're doing? Yeah, great question. And I, I promise I'm going to come back to it in just a, a second. I wanted to just first say the program that Eric mentioned it, to sync your channel is lbrycom slash YouTube. One click, we'll build your wallet for you, get your channel set up, copy all of that content over. And that way you can get onto library you can, and you don't have to, you know, start publishing to two places. We're not asking you to quit YouTube right away. You can publish on both. Uh, and very soon, you'll be able to publish on library first and it will it will push to YouTube. That's such a genius move. I just want to highlight that for a second so people understand that. But I'm not dodging the question. Yeah. What, what, what you're saying specifically is you've created a situation where I can continue as a creator to publish on YouTube and it's automatically going to take that video once I publish YouTube and put it on library so that you can grow both. You don't have to just be like, I'm going library and I'm going to leave. It'd be nice if people chose that. But right now, if you still need that money from YouTube or you still have your most of your audience there, you have this in-between thing that, that library has created. And Jeremy, that move was genius and Thank so you. well done. Thank you. Thank you. Right. And that's why you then do the inverse and give a little extra incentive to, to go library first and bring... Yeah. You know, right. Anyway, so how do we su- survive? So first, you know, I want to be clear about our um, intentions with library.tv, right? Like library.tv is essentially going to do a lot of the same things that YouTube does. There will be ads on it. There will that they will be coming, right? That, that doesn't mean they're going to be there in the desktop in the peer-to-peer version. But library.tv has a lot of the same business and monetization p- p- potential that YouTube does. Okay. Library as a protocol also has uh, a blockchain token. Uh, that has allowed us to uh, raise funds for the company and and solve some of the fundraising dynamics of building some of this open source tech. And Library is also a VC-backed company. Uh, So we have raised money from some of the people that fund uh, some very large tech companies. So, and so that's why I also want to be clear with like library.tv that, you know, they're probably like, might be people who might not be happy with some of the things that Library TV does in, in three years, right? But there will always be that because uh, I'm not promising the ad-free, high bitrate streaming for free forever, right? Like that's not that's not a sustainable business model. That is not something that you can promise, and I'm not here promising it. I will promise that library will always have fully peer-to-peer, high-quality user experiences, right, where you can remain completely in control. Uh, and so that means that there will be the centralized experiences that that are similar in some ways to existing ones, and then there will be um, the, the the fully controlled other other kinds of experiences. And I think that's the best, that's the only way that you know we can do this and really build a sustainable company and really build a company that we want to grow as big as we can get, right? Like I want billions of people to be using library. I don't want this to be something that stops at, you know, a couple of million, you know, really hard. Uh, you, you don't really want it to just be a niche product. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Right. Right. And, but the, the other really interesting and cool thing is also because you have that coherent view underneath of the blockchain, there's no limit to the amount of interfaces. So like someone else can make a web version that works entirely differently, right? At a different domain. And all the code is open source and all the data that's being sourced to run the apps is shared and open, right? So it's, it's also, I think actually the way that it plays out is one, a little bit unclear, Right, it's the same. Any anytime there's new technology, right? You've met the car before the horse. You, you say it's gonna it's gonna work like this. Then they do new things with it. Same with the internet and other kinds of things. And I think this is 
I'm not saying it's necessarily quite as big as one of those gaps, although maybe, uh, but it's definitely something that's going to play out a little bit differently because, you know, there wasn't, when we normally think of something like just the dynamics end up being a lot different underneath because everything is open compared to, compared to the YouTube or the centralized platforms. Uh, I don't know if I made explain that well or not, but. Absolutely. So let me ask you, when you say, hey, there are going to be ads out there and things like that, I personally, and I think a lot of people fall into this camp, could care less that you want to show ads. I don't care about Google's ads. I don't care about any of that. What I care about and the reason why ads became the enemy was because what was behind the ads and the delivery platform of we're going to put cookies on your machine, we're going to track everything where you go afterwards, we're going to do all these nefarious Mm. things behind the scenes. That now it's not just, hey, we got this ad spot we're going to show you for, you know, Clorox wipe cleanups. And that's fine. It's we've got a target and know that one day, you know, last week he bought those wipes. So we're going to get all the data we can on them. Then we're going to show all of that because it's the nefarious things that happen afterwards that bother me. What are your thoughts on that piece? Because running ads, making money, monetizing, you have to do this if we ever want to see this thing grow. But how do you keep how do you keep some safety measures in there? Yeah. So my attitude on this is that that there's a wide continuum of experiences that people that there's people should be allowed to have because there are trade-offs. And I, this is actually a really complicated question. And I want I want to talk about this actually a little bit. Um because and we're still figuring this out. I also want to be clear, right? Right now, there aren't right. really ads on live right now. Subject to change. I also want to be clear that with all these things that I'm saying, I want to hear what people think about it. And this is me kind of talking about how we're thinking about it right now. Um, fundamentally, I guess I want to first say is that there is a trade-off. And so if, if I, let's just look at, let's suppose that I'm running a video site purely as a charity, right? I'm a purely altruistic person who wants to stream videos over the internet. And I'm, I'm literally uh, as good of, as I could possibly be. I'm a, I'm a saint in terms of my intentions, but I don't have money. And so I'm going to subsidize the cost of my bandwidth by showing advertisements to my users. Well, the more a user is willing to essentially tell an advertiser about themselves, the fewer ads that person is going to need to see to be, for me to be able to cover my bandwidth costs, right? Because people who, who buy advertisements, they pay more money when they can show an advertisement to someone that they really want to see it to, right? If I, if I right. want to, if, right? If I, if I want to sell, if I'm, um, I get targeted regularly, I get retargeted regularly. I mean, despite all of my, and I, by the way, I'm a, I'm pretty private internet person. I use the tracking stuff. I use all the anti-tracking stuff. I'm probably not like the hardest of hardcore, but I'm, I'm hardcore than 99% of people. So I want to be clear, like I'm, I am this person. I want software to work for people like me. So I'm not against that. Right. I still, nonetheless, you know, certainly you still see some, some retargeting happen somehow. I don't know, whatever. So I get ads for AWS and stuff, right? You know, cause I, they figured out that I'm a tech person who might buy these services. You know, Amazon's trying to market something like AWS to what, 0.1% of people? Is it even that high? 0.01, 0.001? You know, if they have to market blindly, they, can, they can't afford to pay nearly as much for an advertisement, right? So the, so the key to me is these relationships need to be consensual and they need to be clear, but they shouldn't necessarily happen. And you as a user should have a choice. If a creator is effectively making a penny off of their video, let's just say it's a penny, it's, sometimes it's less, uh, but let's say they're making a penny. I think that you should, someone should have the following options. One, yeah, I'll just pay a penny. <laughs> I don't need to see any ads. Another option could be, I'm willing to share my profile and my view history and every website I've clicked. And you probably will have to see fewer ads than anyone else. Or maybe you're willing to share some information and you have to see two ads. You're like, but there's going to, and so I'm, I'm for being clear about it. 
But I think at the end of the day, there ends up being a continuum. And I think some people should have the right to use software in an incredibly private fashion. If people want to show to the world every, if you want to be a complete uh, whatever, what's the word? Vo- not voyeur. What's the opposite? Uh, flip. And like an extrovert is probably Ex- what exhibitionist. If you want to be a complete exhibitionist about okay. all of their internet behavior and get at, like whatever. Okay, like but they should be. They should know what they're doing. And and then the trade-off should be clear about what are you actually getting for giving this up. So I, I you know and, and see where that balance falls and let people make choices. And now, DuckDuckGo has an interesting, and I know you guys are working this out, and I love all the thought that you've put on to, into it, and that makes a big difference in itself. DuckDuckGo does something interesting, I think, because when I want to know, is this a company I want to support, I follow the money trail. One, to see, can they make money? Because if I'm going to support it, I need to know they can survive. And two, because if you want to ever find out what's really happening behind the scenes, follow the money trail. Yeah. And so... You know, DuckDuckGo makes their money based on ads that get placed based on the things you actually search for. So if I'm in DuckDuckGo and I type in Clorox wipes, I'm going to get a Clorox wipe ad. That's where the privacy invasion ends, right? I've looked for this product, therefore I'm a target audience, therefore the ad appears. This is a fantastic transaction for me as an end user and for DuckDuckGo to make money. What it doesn't do is start putting cookies in there to see what now what's he doing right after this and now let's find out all the stuff after and I think they to me have come up with a great solution now I haven't talked to DuckDuckGo they may come to me and be like yeah we tried the solution and we're losing money hand over fist because of it but it seems like a very good way but what I like about your alternative other option that you talked about which I also think is good is giving people a way to pay out I know working in telecom industry, how much money we make off of an individual's personal information, nearly nothing. Yeah. So when, you know, from an individual person perspective, so if somebody's like, I'll just give you $5 and leave me alone. This is a great right. trade-off, right? Right, right. Look, look, so let me, I want to be, I want to be unequivocal about this point that I promise like for as long as I'm running this company and afterwards, cause I don't think I would, as long as I have any influence and say, I will be fine. Like, and, and because it's all open, I don't even think the company could ever do it, right? That there will be the way to have private experiences. I'm extremely, extremely in favor of that. And I think that the way we've designed library is we couldn't stop private experiences from happening, even if we wanted to at this point, right? And so that's, the, that's part of the design is we're handcuffing ourselves. That's how committed I am to it, okay? At the same time, truthfully, like there are things that with that search that could make that an advertiser would pay more money for. You know, if you're searching... Um, if you're searching wipes, uh, whatever, something like you, know, you need something at 9 p.m. at night and there's a pharmacy nearby that's open and you're sharing your, your location, then that advertiser can, can buy that there and they can't put that. So there's some amount of transactions that are lost. They, they, they are. And so we need to accept that that trade-off exists and people who want to, that, to pay for it, and you're right, the price might be very cheap. That's right. the crazy thing, right? Is like, like there's all this happening. There's no ability to opt out to just say, well, like, look, okay, if it's that valuable to you guys, let me just pay $10 and please. <laughs> you know, like, right. Like, right. What? Like, yeah. I think you've, you've touched on a couple of things that for me personally, I don't have a problem sharing my data with someone that I either want to support or trust. I ask for two things, clarity. What are you doing with the data? Yes. And choice. Do Can I choose to not do this Absolutely. if I don't want to? That's all I can. So if library.tv or any client or some way of monetization, I don't have a problem with advertising. I don't even have a problem with targeted advertising as long as I can tell you what that target is. And then you don't, like Ryan said, follow me around the internet. I think that's the one that 
for me specifically, like the tracking behavior is just unacceptable. But if I'm in your platform, if I'm on your website, I give you the consent to do so. And I want you to be successful. So yes, sell those ads, target me, because maybe I'll actually... Not all ads are bad, right? We yeah, say ads yeah. and it's like a dirty thing immediately. Maybe that's it's because, a like you said, Eric, what people have done with them, they've turned yeah. them negative to the point where we hear anybody monetizing through ads, it sends shivers through our spine because we know what people have taken that concept with and perverted it into this thing that it yeah. should have never been, right? It, we, we've perverted it into the 1984 George Orwell novel based on showing people ads versus just, hey... This person might need this product. I want to show it to them. And like you said, even targeting. But once I leave the platform, leave me alone. Go leave my house. Yeah. I don't want you anymore. Like that's where it gets to me where it just, it it becomes too much. And now, and people have taken advantage of it. And you're right. Ads have become a bad word now because of that. And you've also put yourself in an interesting situation with an open protocol where library.tv, if you were to make it, let's say uncomfortable or or not a good experience someone could come on behind you and underneath of you basically and say you know if you don't like library tv <laughs> why don't you come to our our version of it exactly. so it doesn't incentivize you to make it a good user experience tremendously so i i, I think that that pressure will always exist and and should we uh, either by a you know failure of imagination or effort or we're taken over by mind control uh, zombies or whatever, that's not a thing, whatever, some sort of uh, alien creature that make really like spying, you know, like it's, it's designed in a way that, that valve, that sort of safety valve, right. Where I wouldn't expect someone to really necessarily spin up a site tomorrow, as long as we're acting the way that we're acting. But if, if we ever great way to look at it that way, like it could, it could happen. Right. And I also want to emphasize though, I want to be, I do want to really be clear about this. Cause I know this is an audience that cares. Like if you are concerned about that, that more private experience and not being checked across the web. I would say don't use library TV or use library TV, put your ad, put your blocker, blocking software on. We do use some third-party analytics on library.tv and some of that usage information I think does therefore end up getting shared and used for retargeting. If you want a fully private experience, go to library.com slash get, get the desktop app. There's an app image, there's windows apps, there's, and you're not going to get retargeted off of the usage off of that. No third party is going to see your usage of that. We won't even see your usage if you don't want us to see your usage. Okay, so that that experience exists if you are using that web version, um, which is is totally safe and works great. But it does mean some usage does end up getting shared. For those that decide to do that, is there a way today for them to donate monetarily to you? No, but that's a that'd be a really good idea to add that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we'll be looking we're looking forward to that because we'd like to share that yes, with our audience. Yes, I think that's a great idea, and I I will uh, I I will. I'm not sure how soon, but I will commit to adding that. I think that's definitely something that's that's a good idea to add. Awesome. So let's let's talk quickly about alternatives. We've already talked about this a little bit, and we've kind of addressed some of the aspects of it. But I wanted to kind of talk to you about the you know that there's there's we've been looking for an alternative for a very long time, and YouTube has mm-hmm. this massive market share thing, right? Uh, but what do you think are the the issues with platforms like YouTube that library is able to solve, in your opinion? I think there's a number of them. So I think one of them is sort of something that we've already sort of been describing and talking about is this sort of one size fits all that YouTube has to be. Now that obviously they're trying to tailor the experience, but nonetheless, like it has to be one experience. YouTube is one entity and one thing that comes with costs in terms of how 
you've got people with a, a, a wide variety of preferences. How many of them can you satisfy? As, as When you can only exist in one way, you can't satisfy as many. There's other costs that uh, YouTube carries in terms of, right, YouTube has a much larger responsibility for their platform and the way that it works, right? Library is an open protocol. Uh, a lot of things, a lot of the ways that it's being used, it's, it's local experiences that aren't, that you know, we're not in control over. So and that goes down even to things like who owns the channels and, and who owns the content. And, and we think that can actually reduce costs. Uh, but I think more importantly, there's a fundamental difference in terms of how library works that allows it to, you know, over time, end up eating up more and more. It's easier for library to swap like to, to be swallowing that direction than vice versa, right? YouTube can't, one of the things, so if you see that sort of, uh, like, look, I'm happy to admit it, right? We're, we're like a gnat right now, right? Like against the, <laughs> the big old elephant, a YouTube, or maybe we're a little larger than a gnat compared to David an elephant. David and Goliath. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably. David and Goliath. I like that one. Yeah, I like that one more. Yeah, uh, uh, we're David and Goliath. But one of the things when you have this kind of David and Goliath situation is can the Goliath co-opt the David in a business sense, right? If some upstart thing is threatening the big incumbent thing, one question, and this is true of political parties, this is true of companies. The question is, can the can the giant co-opt what the, the upstart is doing? Right? Can they copy the technology? Can they copy the idea? Right. And in the case of library, they can't, at least not without fundamentally giving up who they are, because the whole design of library is to give up, is to give up the control, right? We've kind of just went ahead and went to the end state, right? Rather than trying to put up uh, you know, a barrier in the front. So it's like you you can't under you can't co-opt it without giving up what you are, and so therefore I think like it has that dynamic of things being able to flow over time without the ability for them to sort of stop it by being like oh well we have feature X now or we stop doing Y right so mm-hmm. I mean because I can we can get into some of those X's or Y's like I mean YouTube has you know hidden P scores that are on content that are secretive and you don't get to be told what yours are or why it was adjusted and it's done by human beings. I mean, you can read a Reclaim the Net article about this. I think that's pretty shady, right? But that's something they could stop, right? <laughs> they can't. They, they, so so I could, we could go through X or Y about, oh, they demonetized this person or they deleted this content and it was unfair and, and the ways that they handled these issues that I think are unfair. But that, that's all behavior that could stop. The thing that fundamentally that they can never adopt is this design pattern where the creators themselves are given local control over their identity and wallet. Well, they, they can't do that without giving up who they are. So I don't think they ever will. Yep, I agree. What are what when you think about your reason for starting library? There are other tools out there that we've been recommended over the years, like BitChute and PeerTube and others, where people are like, "Hey, why doesn't why don't you put your content over here?" And the answer in general for us has been because the decentralized way that they have their search, the fact there's no audience, as Eric mentioned nobody goes there. They want you to go there and then you get one view on a video you spent, you know, two weeks doing or spent your own money producing. There's just no audience to make anything back. So when when you think about the other attempts at blockchain, not to put anybody down or anything else, but what makes libraries stand out from them where you think we've kind of done this differently? Well, BitChute, so um it's kind of a different answer between blockchain versus other stuff against a lot of the other blockchain companies. Um, I think it's a l- largely usability. Uh, I think we've really focused on usability and been able, I mean, it's some, 
Truthfully, I just think we have some people who are good at it. It's hard to be good at usability. I think a lot of people struggle. And I'm not saying we're perfect, but I think we have some people who are good at it. And I think we have some pretty talented people in a number of domains. Uh, so I think that partially it's just been because our stuff is a lot better. I think we had, uh, at least than some of our competitors, I'm not saying every, BitChute's not really a comparison. They're not really decentralized. It's just BitChute.com, right? Library to some, BitChute uses BitTorrent underneath. Um, my understanding is that they're hosting most of it. Um, but even if that, even if it was well hosted, you still have, they're still not solving the index problem. That's the whole point, right? So BitChute has all the same centralized aspects of, of YouTube. I think, yeah, it's probably definitely partially recognizing the, the, the business side of, um, of recognize, of like trying to come up with creative ways of solving these two-sided marketplace problems. Um, like with, with the YouTube sync and uh, like, that's what you, the YouTube sync was designed in response to that. You know, how do you, you have this two-sided marketplace that you're trying to get started. How do you get one coming on? You have to come up with low friction ways to get people to participate without giving up too much. Um, I, um, so one of the issues that occurs on decentralized platforms is the type of content that gets uploaded. So are there any controls to keep mature or illegal content out of the platform? And can you explain it to us how that works with library? Uh, yes. And I'll, I'll also say we have facts and other content uh, on this that uh, you can look at. But the answer succinctly is that we can't interfere at the protocol level. This is no different than any other protocol, right? There's no uh, central place to go to censor F FTP or HTTP or SMTP or any of these things. So that libraries are different at that level. So then the answer is, what do we do on top, right? So what we do is uh, we are a registered agent, uh, DMCA agent with the federal government and other steps that you have to take to you know, be, if you're accepting user-generated content to do you know, proactive reporting um, or to receive reports. If we receive reports of content that are invalid or something happens internally that triggers something, we put it on various lists. Um, so basically, we maintain both blacklists where that co this content is illegal as well as gray lists where this content is uh, malicious or abusive in some way, but not necessarily against the law. And uh, so library.tv doesn't show blacklisted or graylisted content. So that's not shown there at all. Um, similarly across any other web properties. So it's not returned there. Uh, at the peer-to-peer at the -peer level, it's the responsibility. So in like the desktop client or the other apps, it's the responsibility of the wallet server uh, to, and so this is, I'll explain what this is in a second. Wallet server, we haven't talked about that, but it's the responsibility of your wallet server to perform the filtering. Um, so wallet server is basically used in all blockchain networks, any blockchain, anytime you're interacting with the blockchain where you do not have a full local copy of the blockchain. So that would be even when you're using a you know, so-called local wallet in Bitcoin, unless you have a full copy of the Bitcoin blockchain, you're connecting to a wallet server. These are l largely interchangeable providers. Part of the design of the network is that um, is such that your wallet provider, wallet provider can't lie about transactions that happen on the blockchain. So that's part of what makes this possible. So wallet, wallet pro server providers are, are pretty interchangeable. In the case of library, your wallet server provider uh, in the desktop model is doing all of the metadata lookups and resolutions as well as the blockchain transactions. So it's then the responsibility of the wallet server provider to not return illegal metadata. And so that's actually something that is configurable. So if the, the ones that we ship by default, right, follow U.S. laws. If you're running your wallet server in another country, and maybe some of the content that's on the blacklist to not be returned by the wallet server doesn't can be returned legally by you, then you can update that, and the wallet server can return other things. So that's the sort of technical architecture in terms of how we've tried to 
it's tough, um, right? We're trying to follow law, but how, how these apply can be difficult to ascertain. At how time. does someone choose their wallet server when they're downloading the, the app? Is that an option? If you, yeah, if you go into settings, so it, it comes configured to a default one, but if you go into settings, uh, there's a setting to type one in. Uh, there's not gotcha. currently discovery, so you have to just type one in and it will respond if it can connect to it or not. Uh, discovery will come at some point where, because the, they do know about each other. So the wild servers could tell you about or at least they have the ability to. So the wild servers could tell you about other wild servers it knows about. But you said there's one by default. So us, for those who don't want to geek out, they just want to enjoy the content. It comes configured can... to one of ours gotcha. by default. Perfect. So it comes configured. But, we, but, we're, but we're not using that server for analytics. So that server is not recording like what you've been resolving or that kind of thing. Very nice. It just relays uh, the, tr- the transactions. So the blockchain part of it can be a little confusing for people that don't understand. I I do not know much about blockchain. I understand it on sort of a high level. Um, So one of the things that was interesting to me was to come in as a creator, well, just as a user. So on the desktop side of it, to see your wallet, to actually go in there and see the transactions. Um, You know, when you're editing a video, there's a small uh, cost associated with it to post it. There's the ability to tip creators and you can get tips. So there's a monetization system that's in there, obviously wrapped around the, the blockchain. To me, it's very compelling because it's just such a stark difference to just advertising based. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like maybe the bat currency in Brave or something like that, where it's, it's a way for you to control your monetization. And if you get LBC, then you can give LBC. And um, what, what was the, some of the thinking that went behind that? And, and how does that work for, for creators and, and users? Yeah, so so it's it's funny. Like uh, the blockchain exists because it has to. I mean, I guess you also the idea of doing payments was definitely a, a positive reason to want it there. But you actually the the payments are actually a requirement. Um, so if you're going to there's uh, that might sound weird, uh, but I'll I guess so maybe I'll explain that. Uh, so if you're going to have a, a public blockchain, you need some incentive for people to be participating in the network, and the token ends up serving as that incentive. It actually creates a little bit of economic incentive uh, for those operators uh, to run. So in terms of why library has a blockchain, right? I didn't sit down and say, I wanted to start a blockchain company. Um, I'll actually tell you a little bit how I started the company uh, because I've been into BitTorrent and peer-to-peer stuff for a long time. And I'd been learning about Bitcoin. And as a computer scientist, I was very interested in Bitcoin as very like elegant solution to this challenging problem of reaching consensus without a single authority deciding what's what's in you know essentially you have a database that can agree on what's in the database without having one, an enumerated set of nodes that says yeah that's in or yeah that's out so it's really brilliant it's really elegant it's one of those things when you learn about it i remember feeling the same way when i learned about dhts or learning about some other computer science algorithms and feeling like wow that makes you go like wow that's really elegant and um so it's just thinking about it well what are the other what are the other things that that could be used for this kind of database, right? And it turns out that it solves a lot of the problems with this BitTorrent and this other peer-to-peer tech, right? Which is you have no ability to, you have no coherent view of the network. You don't know everything that's on it. You can't discover it, right? You, it works great if you have a hash, but you don't know what's on it. And this was actually the conception of the company was, well, let's solve that problem. There's no, there's no identity, right? Some of these things that BitTorrent is lacking. And then once you've got payments, well, you get to solve something else that BitTorrent is lacking, right? You get to solve the ability to, to pay for content. And hopefully you then, and I think we have, solved some of the legitimacy issues with, um, with peer-to-peer, right? And some of this other stuff. So, mm-hmm. so that's why the token is there. The token is there because uh, the 
using a blockchain as a database is a very powerful improvement on the state of the art of peer-to-peer -peer tech. So now you've got a token. The token needs to be tradable. You need that so that you can have the database. And then you start thinking about other things you can do with it. Okay, let's use it. Of course, well, payments, of course, that kind of come, that kind of came at the beginning because you're already thinking I've got this token. Um, but you know, you start thinking about, well, we can use it as a weight. We can use it as a trust signal. We can use it. Well, I mean, I guess that's really it. That's it. You, you have to use a little bit to publish. You use it for payments. And then we, we have this sort of staking system where you can either tip people or also just stake or commit your, your tokens against someone else. And that's because one of the problems in a decentralized network uh, is civil attacks and how do I trust this person? And is this, is this the good John or is this one of 500 fake Johns? You know, like, mm -hmm. And so using the, the token as a, as, a, as a stake, as a trust signal, also ends up being a, a really powerful use of it. Yeah, that's a very cool that. idea. You know, this was the piece that when, when we talk about other platforms out here that have tried to do something similar, all of them thought about, I think, the viewers in some cases and never the creators. And when you think about having a platform like YouTube, the reality is one of the reasons why it grew is it created such an incentive for people to create videos. You had this company that took care of getting ads for you. They would run them on your videos and you would get money, just upload your content and you're done. Every other platform that has come out had no real viable way of actually making money for the creator. And if you don't have creators, you have no viewers. And what you guys have done here is really interesting because you actually did think okay, how do we incentivize the creators to come over here and utilize this tool? And the, the library credits or LBC is an important part of that. And of course, people say, well, just use patrons and stuff. Well, maybe 5% of an audience becomes patrons and things like that. So you need another way to make money easily. That's it's not something you have to invest, become learning how to go out and get advertisers to come to your company and things like that. But when you look at library credits, you know, what is the path for you to grow this as a currency? Because obviously library credits are only, and, and this is kind of my newbiness with blockchain, but a lot of ways we talk about the, the different Bitcoins and things, but it all ends up going back to, well, what's it worth against the dollar? What yeah. could you trade this thing in for against the dollar? So how do you grow that value as a currency so that it starts to become worth more? So... The part of the answer here is that uh, we don't. Uh, so um, our focus has been uh, very much on creating software and things that, that people want to use. Uh, we do not focus on marketing the token as an investment or something that someone should buy to make money. Uh, that, that may be part of the reason that the difference in price between our token and some others, I don't know. I will say it's, against, it's also uh, largely against the law to do that kind of activity. That doesn't mean that companies don't try to backdoor it here and there, but you know, we've been, we don't do it at all. Right. Um, and my view has been that if we continue to focus on growing, that that will always come, um, that we will see some of these, these tokens that are, have a price that's largely inflated by hype and, and marketing that like, there will eventually be a reckoning. It's taken longer than I thought it would. <laughs> so I'm not going to say I'm uh, calling all these shots, right. I, but honestly, um, I couldn't tell you why the price of the token is what it is. I know our user base is climbing nonstop. I'm going to relentlessly focus on that. And 
I believe that's what libraries so investors. You think as the platform grows naturally, more people are coming, which is happening now. Obviously, it, it took me by storm. It was like yeah. out of nowhere, I just started seeing all these people on my YouTube channel like, where's library? Why aren't you on library? Why aren't you on library? And I'm awesome. like, oh, Thank great. You. Another Thank one of these things people want me to go to. And then I looked at it and I'm like, this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm digging what you guys are <laughs> okay. serving here. Uh, well, I got I to gotta pause for a minute and say thank you to every single one of you in the comment thread. It is true <laughs> what they say. The, the YouTube comment threads are, uh, it the, represents the best civilization has to offer. Never <laughs> believe anything negative said about uh, YouTube comment threads. You guys are mm. the best. Uh, and if any of you out there can prove that you actually commented uh, uh, on YouTube and and got these guys on library, you can send me an email uh, with a screenshot of that comment, and I'll and I'll send you some some library credits. Nice. That's awesome. awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, you can send a screenshot of that hello at, at library.com if if, if you have one. Yeah, nice. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, because it, it is something that we we we've looked at for a while, and then all of a sudden it, we got we got so many people telling us to look into it again. Like it's changed a lot. You need to look into it again. And like and we when we did, it was like, okay, now it's awesome, and we love it. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yes. Well, I can can I can tell you that all of our metrics confirm as well that library got awesome around November. Uh, after like a long time of not being awesome, because <laughs> I looked at those graphs every day for years. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's good. It's good to feel. It's good to see that it's finally. It's it's much stick. Much much stickier than it's been in the past. A lot more people who try it out are sticking around, and I think that's because yeah, it did get a lot better. So I don't. I don't have a problem saying it wasn't as good in the past. It still has a ways to go. Now I'm not here saying it's perfect. I think it's very usable. But I'm going to tell you, we're not going to stop building. And I think even if you've been on there for even just uh, six weeks, you've probably seen us make some improvements because um, yeah. they come pretty regularly. Yeah, and also I, there was a couple times where you'd see uh, I saw some videos that you put out, and it was something like there was one thing that I always kind of, it kind of annoyed me a little bit because there was like the, you had the comments thing come up, and yeah. then you, there wasn't a time to edit it, and you made a video probably like three days later. Hey, and check out, you can edit it now. I was like, oh well, I, I was gonna I was gonna say something now. I don't have to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Our comment thread does need some more features, though. That's an example. So I think I've been public. I started doing like a little bit of a daily. Uh, vlog. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. I've only done three, but I'll plug my channel. You can follow me at CalfJ on on Library because that's I'm a creator now. I get to, I have to do that. I, yeah, I, you, I, have I, to, you have to. You have to. You're learning your channel all the time. I think it's like a contract. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but I've already. It's all. I mean, I knew that there's some issues with the content. I'm like, oh, guys, we got to. There's some, some people commenting. I want to get them out of there. We got to do something about this. You know. So uh, yeah. yeah. But we're it's. It's t- you know it's just a choice of what to do next. You know, we have not n- so many ideas of, of ways to continue to, to improve the platform, and just you know we can only build so fast. So, but all, all the time, new stuff's coming out. Yeah, and also uh, libraries being an open source and community project, you you want people to get involved in everything. Yeah. So yeah, is wow. there is there anyone I'm trying to remember? Is there anyone on this uh, on this podcast who's maybe made some very helpful yes, contributions? I, I might to have it. contributed to oh. the library a little bit. That's 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 a couple times a few so far. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of it so far, and and the the best thing just even contribution to it because I didn't expect the reaction that I got, but I just said I saw a problem and I was like, here's how I would fix it. And then you responded with uh, sending, like, just send in a, p- a pull request, and we'll imp- we'll implement it. And then, uh, like two days later, I did that, and it was implemented. I was like, "Well, awesome!" Like, well, that's not how open source is supposed to work. People are supposed to yell at you and chastise you and say your code's crap. <laughs> I don't understand. You guys aren't doing it right over there at library. You're supposed to make people not want to volunteer and help. I mean, that's weird. <sighs> I knew I was doing something wrong. <laughs> 
can you uh, can you send me that? What, what are the lessons again? You're supposed to not review yeah, pull, all pull requests. Make people feel terrible stuff. for their code they wrote. You're supposed to let everyone in the comments flame them for why it's a bad idea. You know, make <laughs> yeah, them feel terrible. Just, just mark it as won't fix. You know, yeah, won't fix. <laughs> exactly. uh, I want I want to thank you uh, a lot for that. Uh, there are uh, I want to thank you, and maybe there's some other people out there because several hundred people have contributed to library code bases at this point. Everything is open source. Uh, we are MIT licensed. Hopefully, you can accept that um, or or look past it if that bothers you, and you are still a potential contributor. Uh, everything is very open. We have code in we've code in JavaScript, uh, Python, uh, Go. Uh, C++, PHP. We have actual repository standards. So every major code base uh, you'll find has a good readme that tells you uh, how to get it up and running, pretty friendly. And we even we have a contributors guide as well at lbry.tech/contribute. So if you want to just uh, figure out how to get up and going and where should you start and what project should you look at, uh, if you go to lbry.tech/contribute, that's a great resource to get started with. Oh. So yeah, we uh, I'm, I'm, I've contributed. It's something I used to do in the past, not not for anything too grand, but when I ran my uh, previous company, I used to contribute to the Symphony project a good bit, and uh, I have a bunch of Stack Overflow positive answers, which I think of as kind of like an open source type thing. You're going around trying to, um, yeah, I'd say a Stack Overflow is pretty is is. I don't I don't think they're actually open source with their code, but I think like the the, the uh, there's a ton of open source code on there that's just contributed by a thousands like thousands of people. Yeah. I don't I don't think I've posted really much in like five years or longer, and I'm I'm o- I've almost coasted my way to moderator. I'm like really close off Look of my you. answers from like a decade Forget ago. Forget being and CEO of wow. library, so you're almost really, a mod at Stackflow. Yeah, <laughs> all all from stuff I did. It's it's kind of actually a perversion, although I feel like Stack Overflow. Maybe this is something if you're ever doing it again to redesign because I feel like basically to some extent some of this stuff like I just answered in the early days of Stack Overflow and I've just like got a nice like little coasting a little <laughs> bit on my rep just because I got in early and I don't know that I really deserve deserve at least some of it was some good answers some of it I don't know I deserve you know it's like oh yes I can explain this extremely common thing uh, you know <laughs> yeah. common knowledge is not common we yeah. know that come there on. You now. Go. So you mentioned, and, and I, I tried library a while ago and, and frankly didn't stick, right? You'd mentioned the stickiness now. So you've obviously refactored a lot of things. You've, you've got a great foundation now. I mentioned to you before we started talking just a couple things as a creator, you know, some of the things around comments and notifications, things like that. So what, what can we look forward to in library coming up? What are, you, what are you focused on? What are the types of experiences you want to provide? areas of focus stuff like that yeah so there's a lot i want because as we you've seen with as you said you've you've seen us for a while you've seen it for a while so you've seen how we've continued to improve it and a lot of those improvements if you looked at that step back and described them they weren't like it was just library doing the same stuff but better right like we had you know, we've had channels for 18 months you know we've had um a number of these features but we continue to make them better in terms of performance reliability user experience you know feedback all of these things. So I want to first say that like, and this is not the sexiest answer, but we're not going to stop doing those things because we haven't, we still haven't reached where we want to be in terms of the core, like doing the core things really, really good. Right. So that's not going to stop. Don't feel bad for that. Yeah. You, you have to focus on the foundation to build yeah. up. With one big one being that discovery itself still has, I think a good way to go you know, uh, in terms of make it better, better and easier to find the stuff that you would want to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, more for creators, uh, more creator analytics, more creator tools, library first publishing for those who are co-publishing so that you can publish on library and have it push elsewhere. I think that's mm. 
um, important for bringing more people over as well if they start to realize, oh, I can get the content that I like from this creator a little bit earlier. That becomes an extra incentive to to come over to library versus somewhere else. Yeah, um, so a lot, a, a lot of creator things there. Uh, we have a roadmap at lbry.com/roadmap. So if anyone wants to pull that up, you can see a lot of the big things that are are coming out this year. Very nice. That, that is awesome. Uh, so uh, oh, on ramps and off ramps is a big one. Uh, you're going to see some news from that about us soon. Uh, so that is on ramps, off ramps, converting from LBC. Like if you want to get LBC with like a credit card or other things, um, we want to make that possible. Ooh, oh, nice. very cool. So you, it, so it, it currently right now is a little complicated for people to try to transition. So you're that's, gonna try a, pol- to- that's a polite way of putting it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> not too bad if you have Bitcoin. Uh, also, I want to be. I don't know if I said this enough. I'm sometimes not doing my job well. You get free library credits just for using it as long as you create an account at library.tv which you you'll get more than enough to publish basically an infinite amount like and you can earn rewards the more you use it so you don't have i want to be clear if you if you hear these weird steps and get turned off you don't have to do this this is if you just want even more um, and if you want even more and you don't have bitcoin it's pretty bad so it's basically like get bitcoin and then there are a bunch of swap sites you can use to convert it convert your bitcoin um, but you really need to right now go through the steps of getting bitcoin before you can get library credits yeah so it'll, it'll be a lot easier in, in the future anyway but i i think it's pretty easy now for someone who just wants to be a user because you can just go create an account on library.tv and then start getting lbcs just by joining and by watching stuff so that that's pretty awesome then the, the gamification the, side of it yeah it's 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 actually yeah. fun because it's like oh i watch five videos i get 10 lbc you know the, yes. it, yeah and the reward sections that you get where you can do like a custom like you do a certain achievement thing and you get a reward for it and that kind of thing like that's a really good idea and and i i started like there's it, it actually kept me on the platform so far oh, yeah, every day I started getting because messages, i'm trying Jeremy, to find like how Michael much can saying- i get from this I started getting messages from Michael like, hey, I need to get some extra uh, uh, library credits. Can you go ahead and accept that I'm the one who invited you to the platform and stuff? I'm like, really, dude? We're we're going down this road? It was true. It was true, though. So so whoever was behind that, it's working. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, Our team is actually, it's like basically predominantly people programming. And then it's, it's actually me and just a couple of other people doing all of the support and and marketing Tom and Julie, if you've read it, so I'm not trying to to hide who they are, but it's, uh, it's most of our team is, is doing the building. And then our, our sort of marketing and so on is, is thin. And, you know, part of the reason why is I, we had two more marketers on the staff when our, our product growth was flat for Truthfully, an entire year. We were basically in an entire year where like our daily active users was like, it'd go up and down and sometimes it would spike up, but like it wasn't ticking up. And, you know, know, what we ultimately saw was like the only thing that brought over people was creators talking about library and people who are already using library talking about library. And it's like, I can't, maybe you can technically buy creators, but I don't, I don't even know that that works in a, in a real way, like, because they don't really believe in it they're not really saying like right. go use it right they're just going to say and, it and then move on and never talk about it again yeah yeah and so it's like why are we trying to do this like let's just focus on this right and so that's been our attitude um and so similarly then i guess if you guys all have i don't know if you have different invite links but I, it's probably like now a competition between for anyone <laughs> new which one 
They're going to use to sign we up. We do have different invite links, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You should. I think you you should probably like put them all in the description, and now you you'll subtly find out. Uh, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I will yeah. do that and just yeah. label them all for me, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be fake short links to your own site, anyway. Yeah, you won't be able yeah. to tell because I'll just make the links impossible to tell which one's which. So. <laughs> Nice. Plus, anyway. you know, one of the big boosts to your traffic has to be every time YouTube does something stupid, like removes content creators and everything else. I mean, not that we would celebrate that type of news, but I have to say, every time I see that type of news and those dumb mistakes, I'm like, all right, there's another one for library. There's another one for library. It's it's, it's scary when you're creating content on YouTube and you really have so little control over your... I mean, anyone yep. can put a strike against you. Anyone can put... They you can be demonetized. Like yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's insane. Actually, I didn't mention this, but we're looking at models that uh, we, we would like to push the DMCA resolution like all the way to between the two people and just be out of it entirely, right? Because it's a peer-to-peer. -peer, I mean, ideally, we have to work with the lawyers and see if we can do right. that. Because ideally, it's a peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, network, right? So it's like, well, we can't. Why, why are we arbitrating this? You know, you wouldn't ask someone else to arbitrate it. Go after the website, you know, go figure out who published it. It's a protocol. You know, um, I'd like to I'd like to get all the way to that point. Yeah, um, but it's really know. messed up. Yeah. Let's but talk think, about apps real quick because one yeah. of our patrons asked, is there going to be mobile apps for Android and iPhone? There is a mobile app for Android. There's not one for Android yet. We did not. I actually um, did promise one and we're a little bit behind. We are, we, we are working on it though and we've made progress. So there's not one for Android. There is one for Android. Uh, there's not one for iOS. iOS maybe quarter three this year. I'm not exactly sure when, but it, uh, we are. We so they're are coming in the works. Three iOS is the only platform that's not one on. So it's every other platform you can get one. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm going to have to just ask you about Ubuntu Touch maybe too. So App Image then? What's a, oh, it's yeah. a, what's yeah, that? Actually, that work. Work. I don't it's know possible. the, what's the runtime? I don't know anything about it. Okay. Oh, there, it's a cute, it's a custom runtime. It was, it was, it's a, it's a community project for a mobile phone for Linux. Uh, okay. have, you, have you heard of the Pine phone? Um, no. You so need to. You, so we're a quick, so cool. quick uh, side okay. tangent. Uh, Pine Phone is basically a Linux-based phone that's not Android, so it's like genuine Linux. And okay. they're also taking an open source transparency approach to the phone so that the you know exactly how the phone puts together. You can take Privacy apart. switches. All you, there, there's actual hardware switches inside the phone that you can turn off different features like the modem and the Wi-Fi and the, all the other stuff. And uh, there's and there's and they're doing a lot of things with the community. So the they're not making their own OS. They're making a phone for all the OSs that exist and they're just going to be making it possible. So it's one phone you buy and you can put whatever you want on it. And one of the main thing, one of the main uh, operating systems that are in that space is Ubuntu touch made by the UB ports team, which was originally created by canonical. And the idea okay. is that you have like this uh, self-contained uh, it's, it's kind of like snaps, but not exactly. Uh, but it's kind of like the Snaps app, uh, app format. Uh, they're called Clicks, but you run those through the Ubuntu Touch application system, and it's a uh, it's a pretty awesome thing. But it is it is very different. So that unfortunately, What's cool the is I bet is if different. you reached out to the Ubuntu Touch folks, they would probably help make this happen um, as best they could. Oh yeah, behind probably. the scenes for you because they're and, and the great thing about the Pine Phone is this is a gorgeous looking phone. I mean, it really people have done the videos when you check it out, and it's and only one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. Wow. It's one hundred fifty dollars, wow. and it's it's not like a flagship device with the specs of now or whatever. But it's the price that you get the hardware is surprisingly good. 
check well, that I'll, out. I'll have yeah. to check it out. I mean, it, truthfully, unless you can get there fairly closely from the existing way that our, our Android app works, which might be possible. I don't know enough about that off the top of my head to, to speculate. Um, if it was close to what we have, it's something we could look at. But if it's not, it would have to be a community, you know, community run effort. Yeah, we'll yep. talk to them about it for sure anyway. But uh, I, we want to thank you so much for joining us on Destination Linux today to discuss library. It's aw- awesome. I'm so happy you were able to do this because uh, we learned a lot about the platform and everything. And everyone, definitely head over to library.tv and also check the link in the description for my specific invite link. No, my specific uh, <laughs> invite link. I want more library credit. Uh, this is a good time to mention I have a reward code. Uh, so uh, it's Destination mm. Library. Uh, so and nice. everyone gets that. Even the uh, even the hosts can redeem. Oh, okay, I'm there. Uh, so that's it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so there, that is um, slightly limited usage, but everyone who hears the show in the you know in the first uh, couple of days or even a little later should be able to use it. Yeah. And that code so, one more time was destination library destination nice. lboy. Nice, awesome. awesome. Jeremy, you rock, man. That was such yeah, a good interview. You. Thanks, guys. It was okay. great. It's easy. You guys are so much fun. That was one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. That that's awesome. what we want to hear. Yeah. Yes, that's so, it's like, I love the atmosphere. You know, I love you guys. Honestly, I mean, I'm a ball buster. You pro- could probably tell. So, like, you hearing you guys, like, I'm like, this is a great crew. I'm going to get a lot <laughs> So, this week, we wanted to bring back a gaming section because we've had to miss it a couple weeks because the shows have run long. And I love cyberpunk games. This is a theme that I absolutely adore in video games. And so there's one game that caught my attention here called Conglomerate 451. Now, this is a cyberpunk RPG dungeon crawler. So, like, take all the things Ryan loves, let's mix them into one box, and poof, you've got this game. And this game is being worked on for Linux. So on the Steam forums, the developers stated they're working on a few bugs in the game to work on Linux, but the keynote is they're working on it. So Conglomerate describes itself as a grid-based, dungeon-crawling, first-person RPG with roguelike elements set in a cyberpunk world. It features pain and trauma systems, story in endless mode, perks and mutations, procedurally generated dungeons, and it's not pixelated graphics. The graphics look great. The soundtrack is glorious cyberpunk amazingness. So if you're into that genre, you're going to love this. Definitely one to get there and add to your wish list if you like these type of games. I know Dark One's going to buy this game. I don't know if the rest of you are going to buy it, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be partnering with here, me on uh, picking this one up. Yeah, I checked this out and I was I was kind of I was interested. He described it to the first time and I was like, um, okay, I'm not really an RPG fan or whatever. But then I looked at it and I was like, oh, this looks awesome. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking. I hadn't heard of this before today, and I'm I, so yes, I'm cyberpunk anything. I'm a sucker for. Yeah. So I knew uh, I liked you. Yeah, I'm. Just, I'm looking at this, and it's like, mm, yeah, this is nice. Um, I need to go in and, and listen to some of the videos and, and check out more on it. But yeah, the, to me, this this topic can never get enough coverage. So uh, very, very cool. Nice. Awesome. Our software spotlight this week is Stacer. So Stacer is an open source system optimization and application monitor. It helps users to manage their entire system with different aspects. It's an all-in-one system kind of utility. It lets you set up startup apps, a system cleaner, remove unnecessary log and cache files, and also empty the trash with it. 
It also gives you options for starting and stopping system services. Uh, processes can be sorted based on like PID, the CPU and memory usage. It also gives you an uninstaller, like a quick uninstaller option for, you know, being able to quickly uninstall multiple things. Uh, resource monitor to, you know, look at like how much RAM you're using, how much CPU is being used, that kind of thing. It's a really cool application because it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a system monitor, but more of like a cyberpunk style. It's not really. Exactly oh, I that. like how you tied yeah. that in little cyberpunk. Cyberpunk yeah. action. Yeah. yeah, but it's more like just a GUI that gives you all the important information right there. Right. But maybe you could customize it to make it cyberpunk. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not actually, but it could be. It, it, that'd be cool if they give a skin for it. Just, you know, yeah, just a tip. There you there. Go. Well, it's this not cyberpunky, really cool but it's actually really pretty. Like they, it is they pretty, obviously put effort into the uh, to the UI. So yeah. yeah. It is a very nice looking it's, it's one it's one of the few system monitors I'm like, oh wow, that's nice. You could put it that it kind of reminds me like a, a movie cinematic style effect. You know, they're putting the extra, you know, GUIs to make it look nicer rather than just the basic text on like, you know, top or whatever. Well, I am a sucker for these kind of tools. So of course, as soon as I saw this, I went to the website, I'm installing it now and I want to play around with it. But uh, yeah, system monitoring, graphs, charts, there's some really pretty, pretty things in here. That, Data that... nerds are going to love it. Check out <laughs> Stacer. Yeah. All right. So for our tip and trick this week, this is going to be a simple one, but I've noticed a lot of new people coming and doing the kind of I'm um, switching to Linux YouTube videos, similar to how I started my YouTube channel. And I've seen them struggle with something, which is finding the hide and unhide in their file manager. So it made me start thinking, because I was looking through the comments and I didn't see anybody offering any suggestions. And maybe they're just being nice and let people struggle their own way. But just want to throw it out there in case people don't know, because I use this all the time. Control H is your hide, unhide in your file manager. You don't have to go through the GUI and try to find where that person decided they're going to put that specific setting under what category. I found control H is universal and pretty much every distro, every file manager out there. So just control yep. H to hide or unhide your files. Or if you're in the terminal, use LS space dash LA, and that's going to show you all those hidden files in your list argument. It's so a just a tip. quick tip and trick there. Yep. Michael, didn't this just come up around plasma Control H, control period. I was not going to say nothing, but yes, you were like, Ryan was like, hey, and it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's universal. Like it is now, but it wasn't like Dolphin. So if someone's on an older version of Plasma, is it possible that if you, I don't remember what version, I think it's, I think 512 or 513 was the one that introduced it. I'm not sure. But there, if you're on an older version of Plasma, uh, Control H doesn't work on the really old versions, but uh, it's Alt period on that one. Which, to be fair to Plasma, Alt it's the alternate view of the dot files, so it does kind of make sense that they use that yeah. shortcut. But it's also not the universal that's everywhere, including Windows. So Control H does work in Plasma these days. So check it out. Nice. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind-the-scenes pass into the making of the show and an opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming a patron. Our patrons help keep this show going and get perks like access to the live recordings and unedited versions of the show. So even if you couldn't make it in time for our recordings, which generally are on Sunday, you still get the unedited version of the show you can go back and watch. And there is so much content that goes into making of a show, even in interviews and things after discussions and stuff that there's just not enough time to get it all in the show. 
But if you're a patron, you get it all. The best part is you can join for just a few dollars on Patreon or sponsors. Destination Linux Network also has a great way for you to become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining the forums. Now, if you've listened to DLN Extend at all, you know that Nate and I go on and on and on about the forums. And, you know, there's a million forums out there to join and be, take part in, but I really feel like DLN has a pretty special forum simply because there is such a great mix of perspectives, levels of, of technical ability, new users, seasoned users, people who are interested in gaming, people who are interested in hardware. There's a little bit of everything for everyone. So if that sounds appealing to you, please stop by the discourse forum. Again, go to destinationlinux.network and all of the great details are there for you to join in. We love hearing from you, so please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask any burning questions you may have. Send video links or comments to our email address at comments at destinationlinux.org. Please try to keep the comments brief as we may include them in the future episode of the show. Also, don't forget to go to the DLN store and pick up some swag from across the network. Eric did it. He has a DLN Extend shirt on right now, and he says it changed his life entirely when he got that shirt. Money started raining from the sky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of these amazing cars, people were calling him and telling him to start, you know, you can have a Tesla for free. All of this stuff allegedly may probably didn't happen, but at <laughs> least he has a cool shirt. And so you can grab yourself a hoodie, a t-shirt, a coffee cup, um, and you're going to have awesome swag to go out there and represent the greatest network out there on the planet. And if you want some more content, you, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels you can check out. You can find Ryan by going to youtube.com slash dosgeek or his website, dosgeekcommunity.com, where you can see his amazing website design that he was talking about earlier, where he fills your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can also check out my content by going to tuxdigital.com, where I do an in-depth weekly Linux canoes podcast called This Week in Linux and other Linux-related content. You can check out Ryan's content on the uh, uh, Ryan, I don't know. You can check out yeah, Eric's. Yeah, check out Ryan's content twice. No, not twice. Twice if you want to. No, no, it's, it's not that good of a design. You can check out Eric's <laughs> content by going to... <laughs> You're fired. You can, you can check out Eric's content by going to dlinextend.com or you could go to uh, his YouTube channel where he has his own content he makes about Linux and all a lot of cool... Actually, why don't you talk about your, st your stuff, Eric, because you make a lot of interesting videos where people might not necessarily expect a kind of video on the cer certain topics, like just very specifically useful, detailed tutorials. Like I've, I was wanting to learn about something and I, I just forgot to check it out and then I went to your channel. I was like, oh... Perfect. I exactly want to talk a little more about this, like the app image launcher and that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. let them know about your, your, your channel. I try to make very specific videos. A lot of when I started creating videos, I was thinking like, what, what should I make videos about? And really what it came down to me for me was I would try to fix something or find a way to do something. And if it was if it took me more than five or 10 minutes to figure it out, and like find a good answer. It, it was either something that was so specific that you couldn't do it, or it was just there was nobody putting the information out there. So I started creating those types of videos where it was just, here's this thing that I want to do, and here's how I had to go and like tr find all this information to put it together, and then this is how I did it. And it may not be the best way to do it, but this is the way that I got it to work. And so a lot of my videos are, are that, right? I'm not trying, I, I'm trying to stay away from the, the distro view kind of, you know, that sort of stuff. And it's just more about like, what have I been doing? And like I said, the Jack stuff, that's going to be so specific, right? I do 
LibreOffice calc videos with Surge. I mean, there's they're very, very specific stuff. And so I'm, I don't expect a lot of people will find it interesting or useful. But the people who do, those are the comments I love. They're like, thank you so much for doing this because I couldn't figure it out. And, uh, and that's exactly how I feel when I have that type of situation. I search, I find someone who's done just what I did, create a video, and I'm like, thank you. You just saved me like hours worth of time. So yep. that's what and I And head to uh, YouTube or library and the channel is Eric Adams. And you'll know it by the big circle icon with the E and the A in the middle. That's kind of how I, I pick it out of the mix. So go check yep. out his content, become a subscriber. Yeah, absolutely. And make sure to check out all the other Destination Linux Network content. You can go to destinationlinux.network and find uh, Hardware Addicts, Linux for Everyone, and of course, the LNX Stand podcast. And uh, yeah, everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week.